Welcome to the Rochester Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We believe that there is no message more life-changing and more relevant than the gospel. It is our earnest prayer that you will be enriched as a disciple and that you will hear the good news today. Good morning. I would like to encourage you at this moment to assume whatever posture it would help for you to hear the words of our text. So sitting, standing, bowing, or kneeling, I would ask you to listen to John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Do any of you have one of those special Bibles where the words of Jesus are printed in red ink? If so, and if you've got it in front of you, what do you notice about John chapter 15? It's all red. Let's acknowledge, though, first of all, that John is not a stenographer. He isn't taking dictation. Like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John's gospel is summarizing the things that Jesus said. We know this in part because the language that we get from Matthew, Mark, and Luke sounds way different than the language that we get from John. There are times, in fact, when John is uniquely difficult to follow. And this is one of those times. I've wondered what my high school English teacher, Mrs. Skidmore, might say if she was grading these lines from John's Gospel, what would she write in the margins? I think she might write things such as, this is unclear, or this is repetitive, or John, you already said that, (laughs) or do you have a topic sentence? John, however, isn't trying to write the great American novel. 
He's trying to communicate the primary points that Jesus had in mind during the Last Supper and is using repetition as a literary device to get the job done. I tell my students sometimes that if they want to understand a biblical passage, they should look for these kinds of things. Look for words that get repeated over and over. That is particularly helpful when we try to read from the Gospel of John. If we do that here, then the point is not so hard to see. What word appears to be the key word in this passage? I'm trying to help you here. <laughs> remain, 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 remain. Jesus is talking here to 11 of his 12 disciples, and he clearly wants them to remain in him as he has remained in them. That language appears over and over. This is an urgent exhortation, and it comes with a very big claim. Jesus says that we need to remain in him, and if we don't, we will wither. We will get thrown away. We will die. We need to remain with Jesus the way a branch must remain in the vine. Jesus, it would seem, has already chosen to remain in us. If we remain in him, that relationship will keep us alive. This is not a new idea in the Gospel of John. We've seen it once before back in chapter 6. In verse 56, Jesus said, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. I'll come back to that verse in just a few minutes. But let's stop for a moment and ask a big question. Jesus clearly wants his disciples to remain in him, as he remains in them. What on earth does that mean? How do we do it? What steps should we take to ensure that our Jesus subscription does not expire? Jesus, of course, is not going to give us a straightforward answer to that question. That's not his style. But it would be nice, wouldn't it, to have a few benchmarks, see how we're doing? Like maybe remaining could be based on our Sunday morning attendance records. If you only miss 12 times a year or less, you should be fine. Online attendance can count, but you will need a note from your doctor. <laughs> or maybe remaining could be based on your demeanor here in the assembly. You can remain if you shout amen at least twice during the sermon each month. You're halfway there, man. <laughs> Or it could be based on the money that you contribute. There could be different levels of remaining. There could be silver remaining, golden remaining, platinum remaining. Or it could be based on your biblical knowledge. How many memory verses do you know? Or it could be based on your doctrinal orthodoxy. You can't remain unless you believe the right things about baptism, Hellfire, biblical inspiration. 
I would presume that remaining in Jesus would involve things like meditation and prayer and worship and fellowship. Sadly, however, he just doesn't spell it out that way. He doesn't give us a rubric to follow. Whatever it means to remain, I gotta say, it was a really big ask for Jesus to make on this particular evening. One of his disciples, the one named Judas, had already left the room. This happened back in chapter 13. Another disciple, the one named Peter, in just a few hours, would insist publicly he had never remained. How many of the other disciples were tempted to abandon the ship? I mean, seriously, put yourself in their shoes. How badly would you want to remain in a person who is nailed to a cross? How would that be for you? And how would it be when the clock runs out and Jesus actually dies? And your bracket is busted. How ridiculous would it seem to remain with a vine that is dead? Can you even imagine the challenge that that would present for them? Thank goodness Jesus was raised to life just three days later. Thank goodness Peter came back. But Jesus' language remains difficult. What exactly did he want from these disciples? There seems to be something mystical about the intimacy that he has in mind. We should think about that. Thank you. 
back for a moment to that line in John chapter 6 where Jesus said whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them as we think about remaining in Jesus I think it could be very useful to reflect on the practice of communion there's nothing transactional about this thing that we do. We don't just take communion and get a remaining card stamped for the week. It's not like that. But I'm convinced that this should be a central part of our spiritual lives. This moment is a serious moment. We don't need to rush it. It shouldn't be taken lightly. When we receive communion, I don't think we're just remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's more than that. I think we are, in fact, renewing our intimacy with him. We are saying once again, I want to remain. Like a branch that cannot survive without a vine, we cannot exist without his body and blood. And we are confessing that. In the Catholic tradition, they have a doctrine called transubstantiation. It's not just a great spelling word. It's a doctrine. Does anybody know what it means? It says that when the bread is blessed, it becomes, not in appearance but in truth, the actual body of Christ. And when the cup is blessed, it becomes, not in appearance, but in truth, the actual blood of Christ. I'm not recommending that doctrine this morning. I have a different view myself. 
But it's like most doctrines from most religious traditions. If it sounds silly, it's only because you don't understand the doctrine. This verse, it's kind of shocking. It's actually rather offensive. But the Catholic doctrine is an attempt to take this language seriously without trying to clean it up. At the very least, when we take communion, we do it because we know that we need the body and blood of Jesus. The way a branch needs the vine. And so, we receive the communion. It is made ready for those who remain in Jesus and for those who want to remain more consistently. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. Come, you who have been here often and you who have not been here for a very long time. Come, you who have sought to remain and you who have failed. Come, for it is the Lord who invites you. It is God's will that those who desire to remain should meet in this way. Now, take the bread, just, just the bread. Now let's contemplate its meaning in this moment. As we do this, please respond with me in this prayer. Thanks be to you, O God, that we have risen this day to be one with the one who is risen forever. We believe that you have become flesh and have lived among us. Let us be nourished with this bread. We are hungry for you. We are incomplete without you. Gracious God, remain in us as we remain in you. Holy and mighty, holy and eternal, come remain with us.
As we return to the text of John chapter 15, we can see that there is another concept that is repeated several times. As we've noted already, Jesus doesn't tell us what it means to remain, but he does tell us more precisely why we need to remain. We do it in order to be fruitful. You see the emphasis that John is giving to that idea of fruitfulness? Fruit, 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 fruit. This is to say that we do not remain simply for the purpose of going to heaven when we die. We do not remain simply in order to escape God's judicial wrath. On the contrary, we remain because we want our lives to count for something. We desire an abundant life, a life of purpose and value. And there's that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control thing. We want those for ourselves. And we acknowledge in this moment that we cannot bear that kind of fruit apart from an intimate relationship with Jesus. Now then, we can open the cup. Let's consider its meaning in this moment. As we prepare to drink this, please respond with me in this prayer. Thanks be to you, O God, for the bread that is given and for the cup that waits before us. We believe that you became flesh and assumed blood as well. Let us be nourished with this cup. We are thirsty for you. We can bear no fruit without you. Gracious God, remain in us as we remain in you. Holy and mighty, holy and eternal. 
come remain with us. some more verses. So, sit, stand, bow, or kneel 
I want you to hear the verses of John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love one another. You may be seated. Once again, we have some difficult lines to read. I'm sure that Mrs. Skidmore would not be entirely happy. But once again, John does not leave us to wonder about the primary point. If we remain in Jesus and he remains in us, there will be an observable result in our lives. Jesus doesn't tell us still what it means to remain in him, but he does give us a clue about the way it might look. Can you guess the way it might look? On the basis of these verses, it's love, 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 love. We will be characterized by love. You've just received the communion, the bread and the cup. You've announced your desire to remain in Jesus as he remains in you. You've renewed your vows. Are we aware of the obligation we have just assumed for the week that lies ahead? Have I tricked you into something? We are committing ourselves to love. Taylor Swift doesn't sing about this kind of love. It's deeper than that. It's more expensive than that. It's more rare than that. A few weeks ago, Barbara and I went to Barnes & Noble down on Rochester Road. You know, they were closing. We were hoping to find some really good deals. Um, I went, as I usually do, to the Christian religion section. I'm stunned, like I've never been stunned before, to see the books that sit side by side on those shelves. Books that condemn cancel culture mingled together with books that condemn patriarchy. Books that condemn wokeness mingled together with books that condemn Christian nationalism. The authors of these books are at war with each other. I am surprised, quite frankly, that those books were willing to touch each other. <laughs> they must not have known what their neighbors were saying. 
In many respects, however, I'm afraid this provides a metaphor for a growing number of churches all over our country. People sitting side by side in the pews, holding sharply conflicting opinions between their covers. People who actually like each other, but only as long as the covers stay shut. And that, I'm afraid, is not the love that Jesus has in mind. People who remain in Jesus will love on a much deeper, more expensive, and rarer kind of way. I'm guessing that most of you know this already, but these are tough times for American Christianity. Church enrollments are declining rapidly all across our country. Don't blame COVID, it was true before COVID. In spite of sporadic pockets of revival, the church is being associated less and less with love. Instead, it is associated more and more with hypocrisy, bigotry, fruitless ritual, graspings for power. That might not be fair most of the time, but it is fair all too often. We are living in a contentious and divided society and it's leaving a mark on the church. There are lots of Christian leaders who are frantically searching for answers. How can we turn this thing around? If you watch the Super Bowl, you might have noticed a couple of commercials that were designed to reverse this trend. They gave us a truthful message about the love of Jesus, a message our nation needs to hear. Do you remember the phrase, he gets us? He gets us in a deep, expensive, and rare kind of way. But those commercials don't say much about the church. Do we, like Jesus, get the world around us? Do we get one another? Do we even get Jesus? My long-term prediction, I suspect that American Christianity in its public and institutional form is headed for a very painful future. To be clear, I'm not suggesting that we should remain in Jesus as a tactic for saving the American church. It's more complicated than that. But I would simply remind you that our vine did not remain in the grave. Our vine has been raised. Our bracket has not been busted. And that means that if we remain, we can still be fruitful. We can experience the abundant life and we can spread that abundance wherever we go. The world needs it. If we remain, we can look at the world and we can see what Jesus sees. And we can go wherever that takes us. We can get the world the way Jesus gets it. If we remain,
We can talk about anything with the person who sits beside us in the pew, and we love them all the more. With a love that is rare and expensive and deep. We need to recalibrate a perspective on faith. We need to risk the mystical intimacy that we find in the Gospel of John. So let's double down on prayer, the reading of scripture, confession to God and to one another, communion. Last week, Beth Bowers talked about the Iona community in Scotland. It's one of the many contemplative traditions that we would do well to discover. And there's a Holy Week schedule coming soon to a church near you. You should give it your full attention. Above all else, however, let's let those red letters speak to us. Rochester Church of Christ is called to live God's gospel, truth, and love with the world so that we all may find life together in God. We are not a perfect people, but we long to live in ways that help people see God and the kingdom more clearly. To learn more about our family of faith or to connect with us, visit www.rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and chosen.